last class we were discussing that portion of the srimad bhagavatam where it has been described that how vyasa for the need of preaching bhagavatam to the human kind had to bring down his son shukadeva from samadhi from nirvikalpa samadhi and had to teach him had to instruct him in the bhagavatam in the pura mahapurana bhagavatam and then it was ordained to him to preach the philosophy of the srimad bhagavatam to the human kind and we saw that it was not an easy task that he was in nirvikalpa samadhi the one who was absolutely detached from the world from the very inception from his very birth we find we have found that he left his home from the moment he took his birth and vyasa so vyasa's attempt to bring him back was futile and he realized that it is actually of no use because he has no sense of attachment to the worldly ways of living and that detachment is not because of simply a dried heart it is actually the heart which is the fertile ground of devotion so as he is totally immersed in the devotion of the divine so that until the detachment from the world so as sri ramakrishna used to say that the more you go towards the east the west automatically falls behind the renunciation is something spontaneous it cannot be forced his his love for the contemplation of his real nature was so intense from the very birth that spontaneously the attachment for the world fell off as sri ramakrishna used to say that the scab on the wound if you forcefully try to remove it the scar the injury lacerates it will not heal but if you allow the scab to fall off automatically that speaks of the healing so the real healing happens when and the scab falls off automatically the renunciation is something like that when the renunciation in our life comes because of our attachment to, to the divine all the attachment falls off spontaneously just the way the scab falls off when the wound is healed when the wound of worldliness is healed the scab in the form of detachment falls off so that's the state in which we found shukadeva but now vyasa found that he is going to preach the bhagavatam to human kind and that way he is going to introduce bhakti as a yoga as a way of spiritual practice in the vedic in the age of the vedas we found that it's only the karmakanda those who were extremely attached to the world they resorted to the karmakanda lot of yagyas and rites and 
that's how they used to pass their life with the with the aim with the resolution that all those rituals all those sacrifices will enable him to attain the swargaloka after his death and even in this life all those rituals will enable him to bind him to integrate him to certain way of living because the mind by itself cannot remain in one place either it goes down or it has to be forced up if we don't have something sublime to hold on mind will naturally flow down just like water the water's natural tendency is to flow down we can only have we have to pump it up it cannot just stay in one place similarly the mind's natural tendency is to flow down so all those elaborate rituals had a purpose that helped them that helped the human kind to hold on to something so that they never go down to some grosser level of living that enabled them to enjoy the sublime way of living living through the regimentation of the mind so that had some implications in this life and of course in the after life that regimentation of the mind you may say how the sacrifice leads to the higher plane of living as such the sacrifice by itself is like a programming just the way the language the programming language has no meaning for me what why i give it importance because it helps me to get some end result through that software which has been developed to some i get that end result the sacrifices were like a software that helped us to regiment our mind that helps us to keep our mind in some high sublime level and that becomes your habitual state of existence the rituals as such has no meaning it has trained your mind to remain in a sublime level it has regimented your mind so that it doesn't go down and it is all the gross tendencies which brings us back again and again to this physical plane our hunger our thirst our need to procreate these are the things for which i need a body and that brings us down if i can keep my mind always in some sublime level i can deal in the mental level more and more i need not have to come down to the physical level i have trained myself in such a way that i have trained myself i have trained myself in such a way that uh, i can continue in that sublime level of living more and more and this physical existence as such has no hold on me so that becomes the natural state of existence even after death and that that has been spoken of in the yoga shastra as a state of videha that the bodily needs has fallen off even in this life we will find those who are uh, have developed a taste for some sublime uh, this uh, what you say that uh, uh, this kala this all those uh, the uh, your minstre- uh, liking for the musical instrument or for some painting all this all these things if you have developed a liking you will find you can spend more and more time in that you forget your hunger you forget your thirst you enter into a flow and you can and live and just maintain that sublimity in that level for hours together that speaks of videha you forget your body the same thing happened with those who were performing the rituals that was a type of karma kanda it had some implication in this life it integrated dharma means dharayate ti dharma that enabled them to hold on to something so that they did not disintegrate and at the same time it enabled them to transcend to some higher plane of existence after death so that was the karma kanda and those who were extremely detached for them was the gyana marga they constantly contemplated on the divine nature negating all the projections from the mind to the entire physical existence everything they negated knowing it for certain that it is a mere projection of the conscious principle just the way i see a huge reservoir 
when I'm passing through the desert. That's the first sloka of the Bhagavatam. With, in, that, in that itself, that simile was given. That the world is like the huge mirage, which is a mere projection of the desert. The desert is appearing as the reservoir. It's not there at all. So the jnani knows it for certain. This entire world, just like the mirage, is something illusory. It has no substance as such. So they renounce it and they <clears throat> resort to the life of jnana, constant contemplation. Now the question is, what about the most of the, about the general man, humankind who have developed certain detachment from the worldly way of living? At the same time, they are yet to develop the tremendous detachment. For them, there was no way. Vyasa, we find that for the first time out of compassion is this enunciating, is introducing the bhakti through this, the scripture, the Bhagavatam to the humankind. So it was a very challenging task. Why should the human accept it? It's something new. How, why should they accept it? So he needed some role model for it. If a jnani like Shukadeva can be brought down, and if he preaches, it will become easy to preach bhakti to the world. Because all revered Shukadeva for his renunciation, for his extreme detachment, for his constant absorption in samadhi, he was highly revered. So if such a person comes down from samadhi and preaches the bhakti, then the bhakti marga can be easily preached to the humankind, which is essential, which is needed. So the need was there to bring down Shukadeva. And how can it be done? Just the way we, can, we used to bring our mind up. The same procedure is used to bring the mind down for the one who is established in Nirvikala Samadhi. As in the last class we were discussing, the name of the Lord, that it is the Ekavritti, Ishtavritti. We are those we are, who have been initiated in the spiritual practice, we know that we are supposed to repeat that mantra again and again. That's Japam. It leads to a type of meditation. How? That this one vritti stops all other vrittis. How it happens? The very basic science behind it is the mind is constantly jumping from thought to thought. We all know that. But at a time, it can never have more than one thought. It constantly jumps from thought to thought. But at a time, it can never have more than one thought. So if I can keep my mind in that one thought, there is no chance for the other thoughts to come. We will find in the life of Swami Yogananda as a young boy, when he asked Ramakrishna how to control the mind, he thought Ramakrishna will instruct him in some mudras, in some asanas, in some pranayamas, in some yogic practices. He never went that way. What he did, he told, just take the name of the Lord. That itself will do. Yogananda thought Ramakrishna doesn't know such any process. But again, he had some faith on him. He told, why not we try? Why not? I try what he has told and he found a wonderful result. The simple thing, when you are trying to keep your mind in one thought, as the mind cannot have more than one thought at a time, it never does multitasking. Mind can never do. When we say we are say we are doing multitasking, actually mind is jumping from one task to other at a very fast pace, but it can never do multitasking. So if I can keep the mind in one thought, the other thoughts are bound, are bound to fall off. That's Ramakrishna's simple way is to say that in a tree where a lot of birds are sitting on the branches of the tree, those birds represent all the sinful thoughts. See, if you have ever seen that there's a lot of birds sitting on a tree, you just have to stand beneath the tree and clap your hands. And you will find all the birds fly off. Ramakrishna, in a very simple word, is to say that if your mind is just like the tree, 
where all those evil thoughts are like those birds sitting there, just clap your hands, taking the name of the Lord. They will fly off. In simple words, he's speaking the biggest philosophy, and that's the way we try to control our mind. But it's a assiduous process. It doesn't happen in one day because the mind's general tendency is to break off into thousands of those distractive thoughts. By gradual practice, when I can keep it in one thought, when it becomes the habitual state of my mind, then another wonderful thing happens. If you can really do that, the mind cannot stay in one thought if it is very intense. Why? The nature of the mind is to jump from thought to thought. The mind, like any other element of this world, is a part of this samsara. The word samsara, this word called samsara means samsara te iti samsara. Everything is flowing here. Nothing is constant. But why everything flows? Because there is a polarity. Water flows from higher level to lower level. If both the levels are same, the flow of water stops. Current flows when there is a difference in potential. If both the ends have same potential, no current. Magnetism, when there are two poles are there, North Pole, South Pole. If both are of the same polarity, there cannot be, both will be neutralizing each other. There cannot be any magnetic field. Similarly, the mind is mind when it is jumping from thought to thought. If by practice, if we can really keep it in one thought and that thought is highly intense, the mind enters into that state of thoughtlessness as it cannot jump from thought to thought. The polarity has been resolved. So now for a person who have become established in that habitual one thought, now and then they will be going to that state of thoughtlessness. And when they go to that state, they find that there is something which is beyond the mind. At present, like the Western philosophy, I think, I think, therefore I am. The Descartes' famous quotation. We have actually equate our identity with our mind. But the Vedanta says, the moment you stop thinking, then you really know who you are. You go beyond the thought. And that's the state where you find that the mind is not there. The thoughts have stopped but you are with your amnes. The world is not there. You alone exist. You alone exist. And there is no locality of that existence. You have gone beyond time, space, causation. And that's the state of Nirvikalpa Samadhi. But it's interesting. At the very beginning, when you have started entering into that state, you cannot stay in that state for long. Why? Just the way when I started having that habitual one-pointedness, the mind again and again needs to break into distraction. Similarly here, when the mind now and then enters into the thoughtlessness, it comes back again to the thought of that one thought. You may say, why? Because that's the habitual, that has become the habitual state of existence now. It cannot go down because mind has already been purified. It now stays in that ishtavritti. It cannot go down. So therefore you will find in the life of Ramakrishna, in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we find that when they are in that state of intense samadhi, some mantra has to be pronounced, some mantra has to be repeated and their mind comes down. Because the subconscious mind is having that ekavritti, that immediately that ekavritti, just there's a vyutthana that rises, that erupts, the mind again erupts into that single vritti and it comes down. So that's the way by which a person, an illumined soul who is established in Nirvikalpa Samadhi, he can be brought down by the thought of the divine. The thought of the divine, which helps us to elevate our mind is the same thought which can force the mind, the so-called the thoughtlessness state of, the, of an illumined soul to be brought back to this phenomenal existence, but it won't go down to the gross level. It remains in that constant level of the thought of the divine. So that is the only way. That's why we find that Vyasadeva, 
that knowing very well that to bring down the mind, some divine name, some divine play has to be just repeated uh, where Shukadeva is immersed in Samadhi. That famous sloka which we read, Atma Rama Chamunayo, Nirgrantha Upi Urukrame, Kurvanti Ahaituki Bhaktim, Itham Bhuta Guno Hari. That Atma Rama, that one who is constantly absorbed in his own self, whose Arama is in Atma, whose happiness is in his own self, such Muni, Nirgrantha, whose all attachments has fallen off. So even such a person, Urukrama, when they, Urukrama is the Lord Krishna, they, even such a person, has an unconditional love for the Lord. Urukrame kurvanti ahaitukim bhaktim. Such is the benevolent power of the name of the Lord. Itham bhuta gunohari. Sri Ramakrishna used to give another wonderful example. When a hemp smoker sees another hemp smoker, he gets extremely elated. They will go and hug each other. So, the one who has went to that state of realization, he is extremely alone. There is no one to whom he can relate his experience. If he finds someone, he will find he is extremely elated. Yes, here is someone whom I can relate my experience. Unless we have the same fund of experience, we can never relate to each other. Language falls short. Language is just a process of encoding our experiences. And we can we encode our experiences through the language, which can be decoded only by those who have the same experiences. No one can decode it. If I have tested mango, when I say it is sweet, it has a nice flavor. Only the one who has tested the mango can understand my words in real its real way. The one who have never tested the mango, however you may try, can you explain him the test of mango? No. It can be only decoded. That language can be decoded only those who have the same fund of experience. And the one who is established in Nirvikalpa Samadhi, he's such a rare soul. He doesn't find anyone to whom he can relate his experience. And when he finds, it's a tremendous elation. He finds someone to whom he can relate his experience. He comes down. And that's why when he, this divine play is related to him, he can immediately relate to it. It's speaking of something with which he can relate. And that again brings him down. So Vyasadeva taught some of the cutters a mantra, a sloka, which depicts the childhood sin of the life of Krishna. So what is that sloka? That actually has been uh, enunciated in the 10th skandha, in the 10th part of the Bhagavatam. That's the sloka which Vyasa taught the woodcutters to go deep into the forest and just they should chant that sloka. Where is Shukadeva? No one knows. But hearing that, he's bound to come down from Samadhi. And he will, he will be eager to know who has composed that sloka. And he was in the woodcutters were instructed, never mention my name. The moment he hears the father's name, he will never come. They have, the woodcutters has to say, would you like to meet that person? If they say yes, bring him, just bring him to me. So that was the trick which was played by Vyasadeva. And what's that sloka? That's a wonderful sloka. Let us just read it. It's a very nice sloka. We, may, we will again get chance later also to uh, describe that sloka. It speaks of the child Krishna returning to Vrindavan. Throughout the day, he along with the cowherd boys was spending time along with the other cowherd boys in the forest. They took the cows for the grazing. Now they're returning. Now they're returning. It is a dusk. They're all returning. The cowherd boys are returning. Krishna, along with the Krishna is all the cowherd boys are returning to Vrindavan. It is that sin which is being depicted in that sloka. What's that sloka? Varha Piram. Let me first read the sloka, then we will go to the meaning of the words. These words are very beautiful. This the Sanskrit of Bhagavatam is extremely sweet. Varha Piram Natavaravapu Karnayo Karnikaram Vibhradvasa Kanaka Kapisham Vaijayantim Chamalam 
रंध्रान वैनयोर अधर सुधया पूरयन गोप वृंदई वृंदावन्यम स्वपद रमनम प्राविशत गीति कीर्तई गीति कीर्ति व्हाट इट मींस वरहा पीरम वरहा पीरम मींस द प्लूम ऑफ द फेदर कॉक द फेदर ऑफ द पीकॉक द plume of the peacock feather so that's his headdress he has the peacock's feather is his headdress that is varhapiram natavaravapu his body is just like a dancer a dancer is is supposed to be very trim slim very fit body so his body is just like a natavar an expert dancer means he's extremely handsome karnayo karnikaram in this if you know the sanskrit uh, grammar you will find it's very beautiful in two years you cannot have one ring we are saying karnayo in two years there is only one ring so he is a small child what he is doing with some forest flower he has made some ear ring some forest flowers are there which has a curvature so if you join them one after the other they will form a circle and that something like a ear ring he has put in one ring that it is not as an ornament it is not for decoration it is just a childish prank childish play he is opening that ring from one ear putting it on the other again opening putting it on the other so that's it's a game he is going on karnayo karnikaram in two years only one ring vibhradvasa his dress is yellow of yellow color kanaka kapisham that yellow color is having a golden radiance kanaka kapisham vaijayantim chamala with the forest flowers the all the other cowherd boys has made a garland and has put on him he's looking one is just looking extremely beautiful with that garland of forest flowers randhran venayor adhara sudhaya purayan gopavrindai so purayan so he's playing the flute randhran with the with the what you say the embroise of his lips veno adhara sudhaya adhara sudhaya with the embroise of his lips he is filling up the flute means he is playing the flute the wonderful music is coming out of the flute and gopavrindai vrindavanyam sapadaramanam so along with the other cowherd boys who are singing his praise they are all returning back along with the cows to vrindavan making the ground of vrindavan holy pure with his with the dust of his feet so that's the shloka just when he was reciting the what vyasa planned that what happened now from the inner part from some cave which was not known if he was hidden there hearing that he came up from samadhi to ask who has composed its song so this shloka has these words these words are very important varhapiram the plume of the peacock feather it actually speaks of that he has subjugated the prakriti that's the sign he has conquered the prakriti the varhapiram the plume of the feather cock is on his head natavaravapu karnayo karnikaram that speaks of the childishness that he is not the lord is in no way uh, attached to any of the gunas he transcends all the three gunas sattva rajatama so he is just that's why he is just like a valaka as sri ramakrishna used to say ishwar balakbot kono guner boshnoy he is beyond all the three gunas and that's been spoken of with a childish nature he is beyond all the gunas and that yellow cloth is something very important you know the complexion of radha radha is the one who is the epitome of devotion so the one who is devoted to krishna her complexion is that brilliant yellow yellowish the brilliance of the golden uh, brilliance is there in that yellow tinge in that that golden radiance that's the complexion of radha and the complexion of krishna is dark blue and you will find that in all the pictures radha is wearing dark blue sari and krishna's dress is golden yellow 
means god is tinged with the love of the devotee it's not only that the devotee is tinged by the love of god even the lord gets tinged by the love of the devotee so that's why his dress is yet brilliant yellow kanaka kapisham he's tinged with the love of the devotee and vaijayantim chamalam that he is having that garland made of the forest flowers the entire creation is his garland is like the garland hanging around his neck randhan venayo adhara sudhaya purayan gopavrindai that flute is something wonderful once there is a nice episode once radha asked krishna that see your flute is so this flute is a very fortunate thing it it is it is very fortunate for the flute to be always with you we sometime can be in your company but the flute is always with you you are always tagged that flute uh, just uh, in your belt it is always there with you either you are playing or it is tagged then krishna saw the just sh- have, uh, that showed the flute to radha and asked what is there inside nothing it's just hollow and then krishna told that's the thing if when you become like that when we all become like that like that flute totally hollow means totally empty of our ego then the lord will play the music out of your life that's the thing which the flute actually represents that we have to be as hollow as the flute all the ego has to be washed off all the impurities has to be washed off so that our personality becomes like that flute and then the divine music will be played through your life so that is the thing the flute represents that's the thing which krishna is always having and all the gopas they are thus chanting the praise of krishna and they are all they have just the, there is a tremendous dust which has been raised and they are returning to vrindavan so this sublime shloka brought shukadev down from his samadhi and he was taken to vyasa and that's how the we find that the plan worked now shukadev came back not for the attraction of his father but because he was attracted by the glories of krishna he came back and studied the bhagavatam and we find that shukadeva after studying the bhagavatam he has to be immersed in all these episodes of the bhagavatam and he has to roam about he was a paramahansa he roamed about naked he never used to stay even for a while for bhiksha he will go to some home and just the time needed for getting the bhiksha that much he had no attachment he was he used to roam about and that's shukadeva chanting the name of the lord was roaming about when he came to king parikshit who was in prayopavesana was fasting for unto death that as per some thing we will study it later we need not discuss it now that as per some acts for some act which enraged one of the sons of a rishi he was cursed that in 7 days within 7 days he is going to die being bitten by a venomous snake so instead of panicking instead of being afraid he immediately thought that what how blessed i am that this death which is inevitable about that i am getting time for 7 days there is no question of panicking so he thought what's the best way so he immediately just resorted to the bank of the ganges and he called all the monks so all the monks were surrounding him he was sitting there and he was asking the monks that what's what's the way just in 7 days i can get liberation if i'm having just the 7 days if we could also have thought that way we take as if oh, i am going to stay for long but we don't know for whom when the life is going to be over we all there's a mothers as swami vivekananda used to say very nicely that the only predictable thing in this life in this unpredictable life is death it is there waiting for us today or tomorrow so like shukadeva if we could have also taken that fact to be so serious and would have asked 
that what's the way out? And for that, all the monks have assembled. And it is because of the tremendous urge of Parikshit to know that the way out, to, because he has a very short time, he finds Shukadeva coming there. And Shukadeva was requested, the one who never stays in one place, he was requested. He was asked this question, that what's the way out? And it is this seven days in which Shukadeva narrated the entire Bhagavatam. Just listening to it, Parikshit got liberation. But we also hear, does that liberation happen to us? That's the thing, that urge is required. It is not the hearing of the Bhagavatam. The tremendous urge which the Parikshit had. Do we have that? And do we have the year of hearing? That's the thing. When you have the urge, the same word can have various layers of understanding. That's why these books are called Purana, Pura Api Navaiva. They never get old. The more you get seasoned, the more new level of understanding comes from the same words. They're not like novels that you once read, it is over. So Parikshit was ready for that. He had that tremendous urge. He had developed that capacity to listen it once and go to that liber liberation. So this book is of that importance. Shukadeva taught this to Parikshit and very interesting, apart from Parikshit, there was no householder. It was only the assembly of monks. So Bhagavatam, which has at present become a scripture of all, initially was a scripture meant only for the Paramahansas, the monks. That's why it is, you will find after, at the end of each chapter, they say that this, this Paramahamsa Sanghita, that the first chapter of Paramahamsa Sanghita does ends. Every chapter ends with that. So why this is called Paramahamsa Sanghita? Because it was first pronounced in front of this assembly of monks. So that's how Bhagavatas started, was started to be started to be preached. It was in the initial stages only the scripture available to the monks at the beginning. But with the passage of time, the, it was the intention of the Lord that this scripture should be meant for all. Now, how it became for all? So that's the thing we will now try to just enunciate as has been indicated in the Bhagavatam. So at the very beginning of the Kali Yuga. So we, we find that this is the Yuga where the human being's general trend is to emerge to be immersed in worldliness. The thought of Lord doesn't arise. Most of us are immersed in worldliness. So one sage, Shonaka, finding the general trend of the humankind in Skali Yuga to be always absorbed in worldliness, he prayed earnestly to Brahma that I want somehow to get rid of the influence of Kali. What's the way out? And he was instructed by Brahma, he was directed by Brahma to go to Naimisharanya. So this Naimisharanya is also called Animesha Kshetra. Means where Animesha, where the Lord's never takes away his eyes from. It's always being sanctified by the blessings of the Lord. So you go there. And Shonaka went there, he started performing sacrifice and many <clears throat> monks assembled when he started this sacrifice. And here again we find when Shonaka is performing the sacrifice, another sutta, this sutta as we have mentioned, they all belong to the Shudra caste. But in those wonderful, in those days that how religion was meant for all, it is the suttas who used to memorize the entire Puranas. This Ugrasravasa, his this name means the one who is always eager to hear the glory of the Lord. Ugrasravasa. Sravasa is the hearing. Ugra means one is eager. So he actually has attended. He was one of the monks who attended the assembly of monks at the time of Parikshit's prior privation. So he has heard from Shukadeva the entire Bhagavatam. And they were all this. Uh, what is called that Srutidhar, 
once they hear the entire thing they could memorize and he memorized the entire bhagavatam and he was himself so absorbed by the all the episodes of bhagavatam that's what he used to constantly chant after hearing he used to chant and that used to give him tremendous devotion and he used to move around see namisharanya when shonaka was performing the sacrifices there we find ugra sravasa by chance have arrived and he was in ecstasy he was just moving around and seeing him all he was a very reputed suta he was well known for his uh, for his tremendous memory not only that and his devotion he has memorized all the puranas and the itihasas so all the shonaka along with the other monks approached him and requested him to come to the hermitage of shonaka where the sacrifice was going on that's how ugrashavasa is brought to that sacrifice of shonaka and there they all request him what's the request that's being spoken of in the next shloka which we are going to study is the sixth shloka of the first chapter of the first part of bhagavatam tvaya khalu puranani sa itihasana iti itihasani cha anagha akhyatani api aditani dharma shastrani yani uta so what is anagha oh the spotless one the stainless one you have studied all the puranas tvaya khalu puranani sa itihasani all the itihasas you have studied and not only that after studying you have memorized them and you go on chanting it akhyatani api aditani so you have studied and then you are describing it you are chanting it to all all the dharma shastras you have studied so the next question that will be asked is that what is that by which we can easily means we always go for some comprehensive study some short notebook is there some short notebook like something by which we need not have to go through that elaborate study but we get the result out of it that's the question which has been asked in the ninth sloka they ask tatra tatra anjasa ayushman bhavata yat vinishchitam pungsam ekanta shreya tat na samshitum arase ayushman o long lived one of the vast knowledge that you have you have already aditam you have studied then easily what's the say us just speak to us about that which can be understood very easily explain samshitum arhasi tell to us that can be understood easily that anjasha means easily it can be understood what you have and what you ascertain vinishchitam what you ascertain to be absolute and ultimate good for the people in general pumsam ekanta shreya that which is beneficial that which is the best for human please out of certitude tell us to us so this is the something wonderful that we don't want to know the entire thing just tell us the essence of what all you have studied so that he has studied the purana the word the and he has studied the itihasa this actually the essence of purana and itihasa lies in the word itself what does purana means pura api navaiva that there is some essential value essence in essence there is some value some perennial wisdom is there all the stories goes on changing all the characters goes on changing in purana you are studying so many sequence of events the characters are changing the stories are changing but there is some perennial value around which all those characters revolve so that's why pura apinavaiva it's never old itihasa means iti ha asa that's as it was as it is as it will be again the same meaning this all the characters are changing events are changing circumstances are changing but when you are studying there is something that was that is that will be that's the real itihasa there is some essential value so i don't want to uh, just uh, 
memorize all those circumstances, all those characters which has gone through the circumstances. I just don't want to know the essence out of it. That's what the sages asked Ugrasravasa. So who is the master of Itihasa and Purana? And he is also established in Dharma. So this slokas speaks a lot that you, the first, you have to study that Sravana and then Kirtana. And that has to be done by one who is already established in Dharma. Then only the real religion is transmitted. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, only a lamp can light another lamp. Sometimes by reading by ourselves, we think that we can imbibe spirituality. But spirituality can never be imbibed just that way. It, it can be an academic knowledge. But it has to be transmitted by a soul who is living that religion. So that's the thing which is being spoken of in this sloka. That he has been established in that religion. He has not only heard, he has established and after that he is doing that kirtana. And that's why the Shonaka and others saints, other monks approaches him who is established in what he is preaching. So religion is not like studying physics and chemistry. It's not academic knowledge. I still remember in my college days, uh, one of my professor, he used to be totally drunk, but he was a wonderful professor. One day it so happened, the class, the classroom in which we used to have our class for certain reason had to be vacated. We had to sit in the next classroom. And our professor came as usual, as he was totally drunk, he entered into the classroom in which we all we usually used to sit and he's, was, he never even looked whether the classroom whether have students or not. He started taking the roll call. We had to go and bring him. He has to just, someone has to go and bring him. And once he's in just in his table, in his chair, in his blackboard, wonderful lecture he's giving. And it's really something beneficial for us. Yes, in physics, chemistry, that is possible. But you can never think and teaching Bhagavatam, you can, <laughs> cannot accept such a person. So it's just after Sravana Kirtana that one should be established in the Dharma. That's why these three things have been indicated. Sravana, Kirtana and one who is established in Dharma. To him only the monks are all approaching so that the real spirit of the Bhagavatam of the scripture can be imbibed. So, so now we will find that Shonaka somehow had the idea. He knew that Ugrasravasa was in the assembly of monks where Raja Parikshit, King Parikshit, had taken the resolution of Prayapavishana, that fast until death. He won't take any food for that seven days and resort to this study of the Bhagavatam, listening to the Bhagavatam till the last his end comes. So there he was there and he has listened the entire Bhagavatam, he has memorized and that's his preaching. Now these monks knew it very well. So now they ask, they, after asking what's the essence, they somehow had the idea that the Bhagavatam speaks of the essence because it speaks of the divine play. The Lord around whom all the scriptures are actually speaks of that Lord only. His life is depicted in the Bhagavatam. So now they ask indirectly to him that can you speak of his life? That's the thing in the 12th sloka we find in the first chapter of the first part of Bhagavatam. They're requesting the Sutta, the Shuka, this uh, our Ugrasravasa. Can you describe the personality of the Godhead who has appeared in the womb of Devaki as the son of Vasudeva? Suta Janasi Bhadram Te Bhagavan Satvatam Patihi Devakyam Vasudevasya Jata Yasya Chikirshaya. So here we find the word Bhagavan for the that in this sloka that Krishna has been uh, designated as Bhagavan. So who is Bhagavan? Who Bhaga, the word Bhagavan means Bhaga plus Vana. Vana means one who has the Bhaga. Bhaga speaks of six characteristics. The one who has these six characteristics is Bhagavan. So what are the six characteristics? Aishwarya, Dharma, Yasha, Sharisraya, 
ಜ್ಞಾನ ವೈರಾಗ್ಯ ಇನ್ ವಿಷ್ಣು ಪುರಾಣದ ಇಸ್ ಶ್ಲೋಕ ಐಶ್ವರ್ವ ಐಶ್ವರ್ಯ ಸಮಗ್ರಸ್ಯ ಧರ್ಮಸ್ಯ ಯಶಃ ಸರಿಶ್ರಯ ಜ್ಞಾನ ವೈರಾಗ್ಯಯೋ ಚೈವ ಸನ್ನಂ ಭಗ ಇತಿರಣ ಸೊ ವಾಟ್ ಆರ್ ದಿಸ್ ಭಗಸ್ ದಿಸ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ಕ್ಯಾರೆಕ್ಟರಿಸ್ಟಿಕ್ಸ್ ಐಶ್ವರ್ಯ ವೆಲ್ತ್ ಹೂಸ್ ಇಸ್ ವೆಲ್ತ್ the entire creation is the lord's projection so ultimately everything belong to him so all the wealth is his aishwarya dharma when the lord appears as the universe it always the absolute reality appears as shakti as energy the entire world is nothing but expression of energy and that energy again follows certain laws the rhythm and we all are bound by that laws so all the laws not only the physical laws just the way i cannot transcend the law of gravitation transgress it if i say i don't believe in gravitation i won't fly uh, i in when i was in sydney it happened so happened that one taking some synthetic drug was from the 20 story building his father and mother both were there they were trying to desist him but he was sufficiently strong he somehow managed to get rid of their hold and jumped out of a 20 story building he somehow have after the drug taking the drug had the feeling he can fly but that was a tragedy it crushed and died so just by thinking that gravity there is nothing called gravity you are not going to fly laws physical laws are there similarly the moral laws now it is we think they are all man made this the church is there to fool the people with all those so called moral laws we can transgress we forget that our civilization with all those so called dictums of the church church doesn't mean only the christian church any church where very nicely they were living for 50000 60000 just go to the aboriginal culture 60000 70000 that culture which we think of something rudimentary with all those beliefs they were quite happily nicely living for 50 60000 years and just we told them we thought all those things which they believed is nonsense and with all our justifications we have just simply thrown them out and in 200 years we are in the moment of annihilation after just saying that in 200 years so again just by saying that gravitation is not there the way you cannot get is just you're not going to fly you are just going to fall so here also the same thing you cannot break the moral laws all those traditions for 50000 60000 100000 years they were living with all those things and now we told they are all nonsense at last we find it is we who are crushing so now you will understand all the dharma belongs it is there the lord when he projected the universe he projected along with that rhythm so all the dharma is his aishwarya is his yasha glory we all want to attain glory why you know something within us is constantly saying you are not limited you are unlimited who is saying that the lord who is sitting within, within my heart he is real he is a real unlimited he is the unlimited one whose echo is being reverberating in this body mind and i think this body mind is unlimited it's never possible it's just the echo echo of what of the lord and that echo is constantly forcing us to go beyond all the limitations and that's how we are trying to have more and more glory but ultimately whose is the glory from where that constantly that echo is coming you are unlimited so he is the one who is having that all the glory he is having all the splendor from where you get the splendor when a gold is hidden you don't see its splendor if it is covered by mud you don't see its splendor you wash it this its brightness comes out the more our spiritual dimension gets manifested the more the splendor is that's been spoken of as vibhuti in the 11th chapter of bhagavad gita that all the things where we find that the layer of ignorance has fallen off the things the divine essence is manifesting more the divine's manifestation 
is palpably uh, seen in those things. So the splendor speaks fix of the removal, removal of all the ignorance in whom there is no ignorance at all, who is always shining forth with entire brilliance, the Lord. So he is the one who is having all the Saristraya. The one from whom the entire creation has came. He only knows. The ultimate cause only knows the details of creation. So that's why he is omniscient. All the jnana belongs to him. And at the same time, vairagya. He, it is he who knows everything is a mere projection out of him. As a result, there is no question of attachment. Just the way the huge reservoir you see when you are passing through the desert, that huge reservoir doesn't have the capacity even to drench a single sand particle because it's just a mere projection. The Lord knows that in this entire projection, whatever may be happening, nothing affects him. Entire thing has been projected from him, but nothing can affect him. He's permeating the entire creation, but at the same time, he transcends it. So now you will understand this, all these six bhagas in a limited way, maybe in us, but that finds the ultimate expression in the law. So that's why he's the Bhagavan and his glory. When he comes down as a human being, the way he leads the life, that's by holding onto that, we can rise up. Lord comes down so that holding onto him, we can rise up. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very nice example, suppose you have fell into a river and you are about to be drowned and someone out of compassion throws a chain and holding onto the rungs of each and the, of the chain, each and every rung of the chain, at last you come out of the water. So we are immersed in this worldliness. The divine play, the Bhagavatam is like the chain, holding onto the plays of the divine that life, like holding onto the rungs. We can come up. The Lord comes down, avatar, and he comes down, so that holding onto him, we can come up. And that's why they are eager to hear from Ugrasravasa, the life of Krishna. So that's been, uh, that I mean, again, they're continuing, that's the Shonaka, what's their request? Tat na susrunanam, susrushananam, arhasi anga anuvarnitum, yasya avatara bhutanam, kshemasyacha bhavasyacha. The Lord, when he incarnates, he has two purposes. One is to get read, to establish the dharma. That is the external thing. But the real thing, but the real purpose is God comes down. He is ever blissful to enjoy his own bliss. He comes down to enact the divine play among the devotees, to enjoy his own bliss. The one who is ever blissful to enjoy his bliss comes down to relate to the devotees. That is the real purpose. So that's this is called bhava, bhavayacha. And kshema is a protection for protecting the dharma he comes down. So these are the two aspects of the divine play. So Shonaka is asking for the elaboration of the Krishna's life, which not only deals with this mere killing of the demons, it also speaks of the bliss which a devotee enjoys in his association. That will be depicted in the Bhagavatam. In Bhagavad Gita, we find that dharma has been established. But that intense divine absorption, which we find in the Bhagavatam, in the Gopi Leela, that also the antaranga, there's internal reason for the gods coming down. So that has to be described by Ugrasravasa to all the rishis. And that's what they're requesting for. So that's how we find the Bhagavatam gradually. It, every scripture has a lineage, parampara, that unless we know the parampara, we can never have respect for it. If you just say any scientific theory, you may doubt it. The moment you say such and such scientist, it is he who has propounded, then immediately you have a faith on that. 
So here also Bhagavatam, before starting the story, they're speaking of the lineage, which it is not some imaginary story. It's all these great spiritually illumined souls who have studied it, contemplated on it. Their life was transformed. And with a transformed life, they came again, that the same words now came as mantra. And that was again heard by the next generation. And that's how generation after generation, that knowledge has been transmitted. So this knowledge is something which is actually permeated with uh, spirituality. It is throbbing. It is something a throbbing living existence. It is not mere academic knowledge to establish us in that fact that it is speaking of the lineage. So that's how it is through from the Parikshits in the Parikshits assembly of Paramahansas. It is a Shukadeva who after hearing from Vyasa has propounded the Bhagavatam which was heard by Ugrasravasa, again he's coming down to speak it out to again the assembly of monks where, where Shonaka is present among the other monks for the sacrifice. And that's how gradually it is being transmitted. And after saying this, the main episode of the Bhagavatam is going to start. So we will take up a few slokas of this initial stage, even in the next class, because it has some spiritual intonation before we enter into the various episodes of the Bhagavatam. With this, we conclude our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.